Certainty and competence are two different things. Certainty is, competence is, I believe. I believe in me. Certainty is, I believe in me and I believe in you. And sometimes I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And I know that if you take these actions, your life is going to be different. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian D. Evans. Now, this next guest has worked with companies from small business to billion-dollar companies to startups to pre-rev to no-value prop to all of a sudden really scaling and growing. He has had two exits of eight-figure businesses. He now operates and runs five current companies, and he has been featured in numerous publications. We're going to be unpacking some really amazing shit. So make sure you buckle your seat. Make sure you really sit down. Make sure you grab some notes. Make sure you share this with a friend, your family, someone that needs this in your own ecosystem. Because we are going to be turning on the NOS today. He is the CEO and founder of Business Nitrogen, my friend, the one and only David Asarno. How are you today, David? Hey, Christian. It's awesome to be here. And uh, let's just go. Let's just have some fun and share some knowledge. Man, I'm really excited about this because, you know, I think we were just talking offline. And that's one of the reasons why we just wanted to jump jump right into it because it was like we were riffing and we're like, hey, we got to record this shit. And it was really awesome. Let me ask you real quick, though, because, see, you're, you you work with startups to mid to growth stage to billion dollars that are sustained kind of companies that always wanted to grow. Obviously, everybody's looking to, you know, increase the revenue. My question to, to you, David, is you, you work with so many industries, so many different companies all sorts of different, you know, arenas. What would you say if you could, you know, finalize it? What are the common denominators, the growth pains that most companies, is it just the mindset? Is it really just the systems? Is it kind of the structure? What does that look like? How about yes, yes, and yes? Does that, does that work? Um, it, it's really interesting because the, the different stages that you are, you have different problems. Uh, most of our clients are, 1.5 million to 10 million to start with in that range. And because I know that if I get someone who's about a million and a half, even 5 million, I can double them a whole lot easier than it is to go from zero to even $100,000. So in the beginning, it really is a mindset and you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got to be able to do a lot. When you look at growth stage companies, the early growth stage companies, once you cross that million dollar barrier, to, to scale from a million to five million, many times once you hit two and a half to three million, your profitability doesn't grow as much because you need to start investing in the infrastructure. You need to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with a team in order to build, grow, and scale. And all at the same time, as a, as a visionary entrepreneur, so many times, here's the thing I found. Is, as an entrepreneur, we believe so many times that we're a better leader than we are. We're good at making shit happen. We're good at selling things and learning to actually build, grow a mentor a team takes time to slow down, to speed up, to do things the right way. Well, you mentioned some really good points because you're exactly right. Definitely in revenue, just based on revenue, there are certain pain points. There are certain things that you should expect on. And we were yeah. just talking about offline. You were saying, hey, you should never slow down on acquisition and sale, right? Because that is the life I, of a business. I, I don't think you should at all. And, and one of the things that we were talking about is some people say, well, my sales are here. I want to increase my customer lifetime value. Yes, that is part of sales. And you need to look at, okay, what's my value ladder? I've got people buying here. What else can I offer them there? If you are a big ticket, by the way, I believe in starting high. So, you know, so many people talk about a value ladder and saying, I'm going to get them and buy a $7 product, and then I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here. In my business, we start at the top. And then if they don't fit at the top, we'll, we'll find ways that we can offer them other things that may be less expensive. I like big ticket. And, and really, if you think about business nitrogen, I believe that we're the best in the world at helping people craft, build, grow, and scale a big ticket offer online and offline. So let's talk a little bit about this because, you know, there's a lot that goes into definitely scaling, right? So some of the companies that come to you, they already have a value prop, right? Proof of concept. They got something rock and rolling. However, though, majority of our audience, they're in that same situation, the two, three million dollar run rates, and they want to scale to eight and nine figure. And sure. so there are these pain points. And like you mentioned, it's not only a increase in the LTV, there's a lot that goes into it. 
And I think a lot of people, when we were talking a little bit about this, it's like we don't know what to focus on the right thing at the right time in the right sequence. A lot of us are getting sold shit because a lot of people are really good at selling shit, right? And that's okay. But the reality is we, as business owners, definitely for those that haven't built an eight-figure business like yourself, is you're sitting there going, okay, well, what should I focus on in the right proper time? So I want you to unpack because you have a really cool methodology in regards to kind of your framework. And when you're looking at, just to help me understand, like put on David's goggles, if you will, when you're looking at business holistically, what are you looking at? And I know it's contextual. So maybe you give us a case study and say, okay, well, this company, it was a digital marketing, et cetera. I'd love for you to just unpack that for us, David. Okay. I'll give you a perfect example. I have a couple of case studies that I can give you right now. And then you can ask me some questions about it. Both were seven figure businesses. Okay. And they wanted it to scale. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the case study, and then we're gonna go into the psychology and methodology behind that, and what we had to do and why. Does that make sense? So one one client was doing about 130 140 thousand dollars a month, but they weren't consistent on that, and they were over seven figures. And I asked them what they wanted, and they said, "Well, we want to grow our company to eight figures. We want to get up towards five million. Then we want to get to seven million. Then we want to get to ten million. Then I want to be twenty million dollars." I said, "Okay, great." And I started asking them a lot of questions, and they were basically offering a kitchen sink promo. I'm going to give you everything, and the price is four not four hundred and ninety-seven dollars, but they trained their customers and their clients to buy every time they ran a promo. And if they weren't running a promo, people weren't buying. And their average cart value was $297. And we said, okay, um, we, you, we could take what you have and you've got to package and position it differently. And you can add some extra value in there to your clients so they get even better results. And we're only going to, we're going to start selling it at $5,000. And they were like, no one's going to buy. My clients aren't going to buy that. You're going to kill my business. And I said, no, we're not going to kill your business. We're going to grow your business. He said, my people don't buy. They only buy when I, they won't buy anything unless it's under with a special or a discount. And I said, because that's how you position and market yourself. We've got to change the perception of value. And they said, I, we said, okay. We'll give your team an opportunity because instead of trying to just sell everything via promo, we're going to actually have people book an appointment with your strategist and we're going to train your strategist. We're going to write their sales scripts. We're going to coach them and your strategists are going to be consultative to your people. And if your people, if your team and your, your buyers can't afford it, we're going to offer a scholarship and your team can offer a scholarship, give it half off up to $2,500. They didn't believe it was going to work. The next month, it crossed two hundred thousand dollars. Once we launched it, it went to two fifty. It went to three hundred. Went to three fifty. Went to four hundred. In less than a year, it got to right at six hundred thousand dollars a month, consistently going up. Why? You change your perception. You change how you position what you have. You increase your own value and belief of what you're offering. And here's the thing: I often ask people. Do you believe you're the best in the world at serving your clients? And if they say no, that's a problem right then and there. But if you believe you're the best at serving them differently than anyone else, then it's your moral obligation to do everything you can to serve them. The fact of the matter is, the more people invest in something, the better results that they're going to get. It's plain and simple. Why? They've got more skin in the game. They have more reasons why they're going to do whatever you say to do. They're going to take your advice. And so that's one case study of, of, of what we did um, with a client. And fundamentally, he had, as the entrepreneur, had to change his belief system about himself and the value on what he was delivering. Yeah, did we have to help him a little bit with this? Yes. Did I have to change how he delivered it on the webinar? Yes. He was very coachable. Um, I mean, the, the the beauty of it with our team anyway is you've got a couple of us who are the top closing speakers for Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes, and Business Breakthroughs. We know how to speak and we know how to deliver webinars and we know how to coach our clients. So what makes it unique is, and, and for an entrepreneur looking at this right now, you have to think, think about it this way. 
what is the unique pain and problem that your client has and how do you, how can you even position it a little bit differently to solve it differently than anyone else can? And once you do that, you now are in, you're creating a blue ocean for yourself. If, if you've read the book and you haven't, it's pretty good. Um, blue ocean strategy. You know, they talk about most people are hunting in the red ocean. The way that you position yourself in a blue ocean is not necessarily coming up with a new product, it's coming up with a unique positioning that you're positioning yourself in a way and you can serve people in, even if it's one aspect, differently than anyone else can. This is this is remarkable and I appreciate unpacking this. Now let's uh, let's kind of dive into this a little bit further. You mentioned sure. position and perception. And it's very interesting because I'm seeing this holistically, definitely with kind of the ecosystem of um, the, the financial world right now and just the state of the U.S. But I want to talk a little bit about this value proposition and positioning and perception. So you have this value, you have this kind of um, offer, if you will, okay? Um, I think, let me ask you straight up, David, do you add more bonuses? Do you add more little things and little, you know, trickets, et cetera, to maybe you know, perceive that the value is really high? Or is it more of just taking the same thing and then just putting it at a higher price point, et cetera? What does that look like, David? You know, it's interesting if you go through, you know, all these people teach the perfect, you know, way to do a, a speech or a talk or a webinar or, or live event. And they, they, and that's why I call it the kitchen thing closed. You're going to get this and you're going to get this and you're going to get this. And oh my gosh, but here's the problem. And, and I know what people will say, well, sometimes they'll just buy your product because they want one of the bonuses. And I've done that in the past. Okay. I think that works if you're selling a product for two to three to $5,000. I've seen people, I think it actually can hurt sales sometimes. Do we put a value stack together? Yeah, sometimes, depending upon the client, I think that it's you doing a better job understanding your client better than anyone else and really talking to their, their pain challenges and problems and solving them and showing them how you do it. I mean, there's a unique way that we we do it on a webinar. Um, when we're when we're live on a webinar, um, you know, we'll take a break. How was this? What did you learn from this? What are the breakthroughs? What are these? Is my friend Alec Mendozian says the pack a bag moments that if you left this webinar today and you didn't learn anything else from us, it was worth your time being here. And get your people start the sharing. Some people don't like to open it up to a hot mic they don't know what's going to, to happen, but you can put it in the chat and let the chat sell for you. I actually love a hot mic. I, I'm one that, as you could tell today, we said, let's just go. I want to hear that live feedback. And because here's the thing, if you, if you can address the things that people say, the good things, and, and even the things that they may bring up, overcome the objection, they're, they're, everyone else who comes on and speaks is convincing the other people who are, are watching it. That's why that little, um, when it was invented years ago, on a, on a sales page, that proof thing that shows, hey, so-and-so from Wisconsin bought. Hey, so-and-so from Hawaii just bought. Social proof works. Now, this, this makes sense in regards to kind of the structure and the layout. Um, when we're talking about, you were mentioning how you went from $400 to $5,000 and with perception. And I know, and I know Tony Robbins talks about this, people want certainty, they want confidence, and they want authority, right? Yeah. And that's through like almost um, subconscious a little bit. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about how those three keys or you know, things integrate into developing the right perception and posture. Yeah. So it's funny that you brought up certainty, confidence, and authority. So did you notice how I delivered the message? I came across with certainty. I know that I know that I know that this is the best thing that's going to be for, for you and your business, for you and your life, for you and your health, whatever it is. That's why we begin right now. You've got to believe that you're the best and you can serve yourself, you're serve your clients better than anyone else. And if you believe that, you're coming across with certainty. Certainty means more than anything else. Because when you have certainty and you can speak with that certainty, you have that built-in authority, right? And certainty and confidence are two different things. Certainty is, confidence is, I believe. 
I believe in me. Certainty is I believe in me and I believe in you. And sometimes I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And I know that if you take these actions, your life is going to be different. I'll give you an example. I was just recording. It's funny you just brought up with the uncertain times of, the, of this economy. I recorded just about eight different videos for my team right now. And I'm talking literally, hey, you're probably wondering right now, what do you need to do in this recession or worse? Okay, I'm talking about the recession. The government's not admitting that there's one. We're in a recession and worse, and we're it is going to get worse. So what do we need to do differently today? Okay, we need to know ourselves. We need to know our customers, and we know need to know how we can help them. So I love that you brought that certainty, confidence, and authority because as a presenter and as a speaker, you have to have that throughout everything that you're doing and everything that you're teaching. The biggest challenge that I find so many times is that someone will be teaching and they'll practice this and they'll practice this and they'll practice this and they'll have it down and they'll be communicating with their audience with 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 power and, and authority. And then all of a sudden they go into asking them to buy and their tone changes and they their shoulders change and their body language changes. And then they wonder why they didn't have better results. So you've got to have this integrated throughout everything that you do. So when, and I'm curious, and you're exactly right, I think this is so remarkable. So when you're pre-framing them for the webinar, or maybe even pre-framing them before the sales phone call, I've heard, you know, obviously Robert Cialdini and Persuasion and a huge book that came out, et cetera, and, yeah. you know, unpacking that. And there's a lot of amazing stuff in that. But there's also, you want to make sure you know, maybe there's certain hints that we put in to you know, pre-frame them in the proper context. And the reason why I'm bringing this up specifically, David, is because you went from $400 to 5K. And I can imagine some of the people that are listening, they're like, oh my gosh, 5K to maybe like 20K, right? And it's the same kind of, you know, uh, growth or even bigger. Let's so talk I'll, about that. I'll tell you, we'll go into the second case study in a little bit. I have another client we just did a launch for. They sold, um, uh, I'll, I'll let you do the math. They had an offer that was $2,500. We told them they were going to ch charge $25,000. 10 times increase, right? <laughs> and, and they're like, the same thing. My people aren't going to buy. They're like, maybe 7,500, maybe 10,000. But over the course of four months, we got them to believe. And then almost a week before the launch, they're like, I don't know. I don't think people are going to buy. I think we should change the price down to 15,000. And we believed, once again, we we believed that their people would would invest in it. I said, you what, what you got to provide value. And, and, and how are you going to provide value? And what are you going to do? And so we helped them craft the, the value proposition piece of it and what they were going to do differently for their people. And they still said, well, they've already bought from us and they've been buying us from years. Why are they going to upgrade? Well, here's what I can tell you. In less than three weeks from launch, they had 47 people that invested over $25,000. Okay, they, they capped it at 50. And then we created a downsell offer to help the people who weren't ready to invest at the $25,000 level. We created an $8,000 offer. They sold more of that and it was over one point one and three quarter million dollars. Okay. Did they, some of it was on payment plans. Okay. The, and the exact same thing. It's a belief system. It's a belief system of you. It's a belief system of your product. And it's knowing how you're going to serve people. I, I tell people, unless you're going to provide value to people, unless you truly believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to serve them, we won't do it. And we're very picky on who we bring on as a client to work with that, that, that meet our core values. So we want people that, you know, that are positive. We want people that are results focused. We want people who do what they say they're going to do. We want to work with partners that are collaborative and we like to work with people who have fun. By the way, that's preach. That's, those are our core values. So if you know who you're communicating and you know who you're attracting, we believe that you can do this. It's not, it's our own self-limiting beliefs that hold us back. I'll give you I have, I, have, I have client after client after client who has double, triple, quadruple, or 10x their rates. Uh, one of my clients I've had for 
going on 14 years. I'll be speaking at his event next week. Uh, he was charging $2,500 to work with people. Now he's well over $25,000. Now I know it's 14 years later, and it was a progress. And every time he believed he was worth more, he changed it. And he attracted a different person. He attracted a different kind of a person to serve. And please know, if you're listening to me right now, not every product, not every company can do this. This is much more for service-based businesses and much more service and value-based businesses. I can't all of a sudden say, I'm going to take this iPhone and I'm going to sell it for $10,000. I can't take these you know, new Sony headphones that I just got and, and, and sell them for more. There's a built-in value when you're selling products, which is why I love services so much. Yeah, and this, this makes sense. Now, I want to dive into a little bit further in regards to kind of, well, we mentioned, and I love that example, 25 to 25. It's a just net limiting belief, like you mentioned. Now, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the pain point. I've seen this at about a million, two million. You don't have systems. You've got like all sorts of random shit. You as a CEO are in Slack. You're talking to a lot of your customers yourself, and you shouldn't be doing that. Now, you're big, and you, your, your nitro, uh, business nitrogen is beautiful talent pool as well, which is really remarkable. So whenever someone works with you, not only are you getting consulting and helping really you know, align that methodology, but also getting that talent pool and that ecosystem, which is really just you know, uh, uh, priceless. My question is, at what point do you focus on that? Um, and you want to obviously get, and I know you work you know, mid-seven-figure businesses right on the border of seven-figure, et cetera, and scaling them. So at what point do you start building that out? Are there certain things that have to put in place first? Okay, do we have an acquisition channel? That's taken care of. Cool, check. Then we start focusing on hiring because we want to make sure that sales is always constantly you know, flowing in. Or sure. is it more of a, what does that look like contextually? It's a great question. And here's what I can tell you. It, it depends on the person. And it depends upon their personality and their drivers and their needs. So many times, many many entrepreneurs are visionary and by being visionary and being drivers we make a lot of shit happen but we also create a lot of chaos and one of the things that i hear from a lot of people out there is entrepreneurs sometimes over promise and then for and under deliver i'll i'll say it this way we're moving at a million miles a minute so so many times we forget to follow up, it, I'll I'll take take it off our shoulders. Say it's not intentional. It just we forgot. We didn't write it down. So so many times, the most important first role that we get for someone is an, a really good assistant. That if you're you know on a disc, a high D and a high I and a low F and a low C, you get someone who's a high F and a high C and um, probably in the middle on the D and B doesn't, or I doesn't really matter. Uh, we use, for we test all of our clients and anyone who uh, wants to work with us, we give, you know, in the front end of our funnel, we give them a PI. We use predictive index. Um, it's a little more statistically accurate than, than DIFF. We do this, why? Because I need to know who I'm working with and how I can best support them. So for me, I, I was going in a, um, I was having trouble growing when I, I listen, I've built multiple business, but when I went into the agency side, listen, I, I hadn't owned an agency before, before I built, you know, a, I, I ran a franchise company and I looked at, well, the franchise company, really a sales marketing and training company. So I, you know, I had an agency before you knew it. And the number one thing I needed was first, I think seven hires were all detail-oriented people that did all the implementation. It was only after we hit that million dollars that I said, okay, I need another strategist. I need to be able to go, I need a third strategist, second strategist. Now I need a third strategist. I need to go hire the copywriters. Before, when I was, started the company, you know, winning a lot of these awards, I was, I wasn't doing the design. I never did the design, but I was writing the copy. I was creating the whole strategy. Well, at the size we are now, I'm able to hire the person who's really creative, the strategist. I have the copywriter. I have the designer. I have the project manager that works on that account. I have the social media. Per I, I create the whole team. So the first 
the first thing that I think many entrepreneurs need that they don't even think about is a really good executive assistant. And I'm not talking, and, and listen, if you can't afford it, yes, you can go overseas and you can find someone in the Philippines uh, to help you. I actually like, and, and by the way, I do have some people in the Philippines and I tell them to work their own hours. I don't want to have people staying up through the night stressed as all can be. I, I have people who've been with me for six, seven, eight, nine, and 13 years over there. So why, in, in a country where a lot of people have a lot of turnover, I treat them just like as if they're American. I have anyone, when we do our meetings, we coordinate so that way the whole company can get together. I'm, I'm answering your question, not answering your question. You need someone who compliments you. So if you need someone who's, you're got an idea and you've got a company and you know you're not a driver and you not don't like doing the sales calls, well, guess what? You're gonna need to hire someone that has a high drive and sociability to compliment you, even though your greatest hate, and I hear this word hate, I can't manage a salespeople. I don't like working with salespeople. I, for someone who doesn't have that drive and hasn't done it themselves, they don't like managing it. But you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning to build, grow, and manage a team. One step at a time, plain, plain and simple. One step at a, at a time. For me, it was hiring seven people that were 100% opposite of me because I could create enough chaos that I had to have seven people catch it before I started multiplying that. I'm being honest, I did create brilliant, a lot of chaos. Brilliant. Uh, just... <laughs> I love it. You got to have seven people just to keep up with you, David. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so let me ask you, now that we kind of developed the, the talent pool, we could dive into that, but I want to kind of keep going here a little bit. Um, I do know that nationally, definitely in the service-based business, but I do just know in general in businesses, right, SaaS, whether you're B2B, B2C, D2C, e-com, whatever it is, you yeah. always want to optimize for monthly reoccurring because that's where you create really the, the margins, right? And that's sure. where you're able to really scale at a very high level because now you can really flood um, flood the money and marketing and sales, et cetera, and growth and hiring and whatever. So what are certain things in the back end? Because now you have acquisition, cool. You got some talent coming in, wonderful. You got systems operations a little bit. We can talk a little bit about that. But really optimizing the monthly recurring, maybe adding you know, vertical products, maybe adding products that will be natural evolution to their you know, uh, customer journey. So I just want to kind of give that over to you and, and unpack that for us. Yeah, that's really important. Monthly recurring revenue. Uh, my whole business model, I I don't do, I can't say don't. Uh, very rarely do we bring off a one, we do we bring on a one-off project. Most of our clients are our monthly retainers that we're working with. Why? Because if I have that monthly recurring revenue, I can put an entire team, like an outsourced marketing company team for them, whether the CMO all the way to strategy and implementation. I built my business model on that um, because I know it's very important. When we launched out Nitrogen Hiring Network as an exclusive hiring agency for entrepreneurs to build in, to hire for that marketing, the sales, the marketing and sales operations side of things, we did it. And no one in the staffing in the staffing world does it. We we basically took the success team, broke it up over seven monthly payments. Why? We create that monthly content monthly recurring revenue. So we, when we have a client come to us, here, here's the thing. So many times people say, I, what you just said, I want the monthly recurring revenue. And I want to, I'd rather have people spend, you know, $79 a month versus paying me $500 because I want the monthly recurring revenue. Here's the challenge and here's the opportunity. They don't, many times, in the dating cycle, they don't know you enough yet. So last week, this is interesting. Um, uh, I was I was at a mastermind last week, and it, people can Google this person, Roy H. Williams. He uh, he has a book out there called The Wizard of Ads, and we were diagnosing and discussing the biggest challenges that people have today in making that sale and and making that sale have to do with monthly recurring revenue as well. And he was talking about dating and getting married. And he talked about the 12 stages of intimacy. And there's plenty of books out there that people wanna see, you can go buy the books on 12 stages of intimacy. The interesting thing is if you miss two stages, 
the relationship is going to be over. In a, in a marriage, if you don't keep those stages of intimacy going, your marriage is probably not going to last. Well, the problem is the exact same 12 stages of intimacy translate over to building a relationship with a client or a potential client. So many times we want someone to see an ad and then just buy, and we go for the close right away. If you think about it, if you go from, I, I know them, I know who I want to target, they don't know me, to now we have that eyes on body acknowledgement to eyes on eyes, we, we see each other. I saw you, I targeted you, you now see me, you're in my funnel to now I've got it to where I can put my hand on the shoulder. Well, you really aren't going to be able to do that on a webinar or on, online, but you do it through different stages of being transparent, being authentic, telling stories and people starting to see who you are, what you're about, and having your clients fall in love with you and who you are and wanting to be like you, wanting to emulate you. When we can create that in marketing, that's how we can create that monthly recurring revenue so that people aren't dropping off. I had a, a meeting with a client this morning because when they came to us, they were trying to do the, I say try because, you know, Yoda says uh, there is no try, there's only do. Well, the problem is when you try to do things, you usually aren't very successful. And they, they were trying to go to a monthly recurring model and it wasn't working. We changed it to a 997 from, you know, $49, $39 a month to a 997. Sales went up, you know, to over $100,000 every time they did something. And now we're having the conversation, what is next? How can we start developing that monthly recurring revenue? What can you offer people? And that's where you can have group coaching. You can have, here's the thing, people bought your program, but they probably want a little bit more access. They want to be able to ask the questions. And that's where you have an upsell opportunity. Sometimes the upsell doesn't necessarily have to be going up to next level offer. It's that next thing you're going to offer people where they can get a little bit more access to you or your knowledge by your team doing it. See, this is so important to mention this because, and I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the creativity a little bit because you mentioned just a few ideas. Because I've seen uh, some people use that reoccurring, right? So for example, dentist office, right? We always use here, that's very transactional. And he was asking, okay, how can I create a monthly recurring? He's like, well, what if you do a subscription model and they can come in unlimited uh, amount of cleaning or maybe do two or three times or have some sort of et cetera. And I thought that was a really, I, I was listening to one, you know, a friend of mine that was telling me about how he mentioned that to one of his clients. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. And I just think to me, it's a more a creativity or lack thereof that a lot of entrepreneurs, they see this, they get it, but it's like, okay, well, how can it work for my business? Whether it's a SaaS or really not SaaS, but more B2B or service provider, or even like, you know, brick and mortar, like we were just talking about lawyers or dentists or doctors, et cetera. There are certain things you can develop. So I'm just curious, David, and maybe you could give us a few things. Uh, you, you mentioned a few ideas. What creative ways have you found or maybe you've shared with some of your clients integrating some, you know, really kind of fun, I know you mentioned like a community, uh, mastermind, uh, some of those other things that obviously really harness the monthly recurring. I do know in the e-com world, you always want continuity, which upsells and, you know, obviously getting them on a subscription model, et cetera. But sure. other things that you could integrate that really increase that, I'd love to well, it's increasing it and locking them in too. And how can you create enough of a feeling that people aren't going to want to leave where they don't feel like you're handcuffing them? So it's also psychological. You yeah. want people to you you want people to stay, but you don't want them to feel like you're making them stay because then resentment falls in. So I love what your dentist did. There's a few other ideas that if it was a dentist that I would do. Um, why don't they offer a teeth whitening program where people can come in and get their teeth whitened um, once a month or, you know, and, and do that. Um, I've seen that happen with um, a lot of uh, in, now in regeneration medicine and therapies where you have a monthly subscription. I do it right now, uh, much to my wife's uh, uh, chagrin. I sign up for an IV where I can get an IV a month. The problem is um, I didn't go for like a year and now I've got like 16 built up uh, IVs I can go to. But here's the thick factor. If I cancel them, I only have 30 days to use them. So guess what? I'm still paying every month. 
But so once I signed up for that program, they have upsell opportunities, uh, chiropractors. Uh, I see that sometimes they've gone down and saying, well, it's a discount program. It's X dollars for adjustment. Well, why not charge $199 and come in and get adjusted as much as you want? And you sign up for a year program. I have doctors, clients of mine that have done that. So yes, it doesn't only work in services. It works in software as a service too. Uh, the thing you want to think about is how can you add, so let's say someone pays $599 to buy your software for a year. Most of the software discounts are usually, if you pay for a year, you get two months free. Black Friday is usually you get four months free if you pay for a year in advance. But now all of a sudden you've got the person locked in because they want to lock in the, the lower level. What if you came and said, well, here's another service. Instead of upgrading and paying for a year in advance, now all of a sudden you can pay 20, only $29 a month more. Now $29 is not a lot and you can get this much more. You can get additional this. So you've got to start thinking about your, your clients and what do they want? And what are they willing to, what, what if you could provide it to them? It's high profit margin, there's low cost and they don't want to be without it. If you start thinking about it in those terms, you can put together some pretty good off creative offers. Yeah, and, and I love what you said there in regards to finding out exactly what your customer wants. You have to pull the data. It's not like, hey, go talk to your marketing team or your, your C-suite level you know, leaders, and then all of a sudden, okay, what, what's our idea? What are we going to sell on? No, just I, pull the data from the customer. Yeah, please go, David. It's really easy. It's called a survey funnel, if you haven't heard of it. It's a survey. And you said, and you send an email to someone and you said, you know, if you could have anything, if you could invest in anything to solve XYZ problem for you, what would you want to invest in? Or if I could offer you something right now that I'm not offering you to be able to solve your problems and needs, what would it be? Please be here. Please be as detailed and specific as possible. Don't give them a choice. Let them tell you. And, and here's the thing. There's people that will write paragraphs for you. And those are, your, those are called buying clues. That's what they want. And it's easy to do a survey funnel, just so few people actually do it. And, you know, in the beginning, oh gosh, 14, 12, 14 years ago, I was doing a lot of surveying on the front end. Um, now, once you have a client and let's say you're, you're a two and a half million dollar business, you want to add some scale, ask your clients what they want, and then put in together. Now, you know, if they want it, your avatar wants it, and now you can offer it to more people too. Just put it into your value proposition. So valuable, so valuable. Um, I want to talk here one second on KPIs, metrics. When I was scaling my business and had an exit last year, I remember definitely the beginning stages, I was measuring stuff that were vanity metrics that were irrelevant to the baseline uh, of, of revenue growth or structure growth, right? And I remember there were certain, certain uh, KPIs that I was not measuring that I should have been measuring a long time ago, right? And I got frustrated because nobody really told me I had to kind of figure that out. Also, I understand, David, that it just like marketing um, metrics and uh, KPIs, the KPIs themselves are, it, it tells a story, it's contextual. So it doesn't mean that one is a master KPI and if you're hitting this, cool, it's contextual. Hey, what is this telling me versus this telling me versus this telling me? And then what is that whole thing telling me? So I would love for you to tell me a little bit about vanity metrics in regards to when you're working with some companies like, man, what the hell are you you know, measuring this for? We gotta get that, we need to put this on here. And then also kind of talk about contextual um, the, the storytelling. When you're looking at metrics, how that obviously presents that to you. Great. So some great topics to talk about. And there's one thing that I want you to think about. Most people are looking at their cost per click, their cost per impression view, their cost per lead. And in all actuality, none of that matters. What matters is what does it cost to acquire a client and what are you willing to invest to acquire that client. If you know what you're willing to invest to invest to acquire a client, here's the thing. If you go to an agency, oh gosh, I can tell you a story here. Um, um, if you go to an agency and you say, I want a lower cost per click, 
you can get a lot of low cost per click, not saying that people would do it, but if you go down to Brazil and you go to India and you run an ad, you get a lot of clicks. Doesn't mean that they're going to turn into clients. So I think that it's better whether you're using uh, Facebook or Google or YouTube's algorithm to help find clients that are more likely to buy based upon um, you know, 1% lookalike audience of your current buyers. You, you need to know what it is. And then once you have, okay, here's what my sales are, here's what my profit is, um, here's what my cost per acquisition is, you can calculate your return on ad spend. What is a good return on ad spend for you? I know people say, yeah, I've got a, um, you know, 100 times return on ad spend. Well, if you're selling a product and your customer lifetime value is, you know, over well over a quarter million dollars like us, it's easier to have a high return on ad spend. But if you're selling widgets, it's, it's harder. So I break it down to the plain and simple. What does it cost you to acquire a customer? What are you willing to? Ryan Dice talks about this. Um, you know, the, what person who's willing to invest the most to acquire a client, customer wins? It really is. So you need to then know, what is your customer lifetime value? I, I can't tell you how many people that I ask well, what is your customer worth to you over the course of a lifetime? I don't measure that, they tell me. I don't know. So if you know what your customers are worth to you, you then you could say, okay, I'll give you an example. There's a big name person, um, I won't say, uh, because in my agreement with him, I couldn't use his name, but everyone would know him. And we did two eight-figure launches with him. And his average his customer lifetime value was over $10,000, okay? He was willing to invest $1,500 to acquire a customer, even if the initial purchase that that person made was $750 or $1,500, he would invest $1,500 to get that initial person because he knew that the lifetime value of a person once in that ecosphere is worth this. Does that make sense? And this person had a multi-figure business, obviously. So I, I think that that's important. There's one other thing that most people don't do. They don't know their numbers and they don't understand their metrics. And they don't really know where, when someone buys, where they came from. They only know the last click attribution. Did they come from an ad? Did they, you know, they don't know. So... I tend for, for, and if you have a business that's at $2 million plus, even a million and a half, if you have decent profit, you should probably invest in uh, an analytics package like a Wicked Reports that gives you true end-to-end -end attribution. Now, what does that mean? End-to-end -end attribution is you can measure literally where someone entered your funnel and when someone bought. That's another metric you need to know. How long does it take from when someone enters your ecosphere to when they actually buy from you. And once you understand that, you can then go in and like, okay, let me look at th this person. And if you have an attribution pa package like Wicked Reports, there's others out there. This is the one that we, we got certified in and used. Um, once you understand that, you can then go in and see, oh, it was this email click. This is the one that they, they clicked on that they actually bought. And we can start seeing where the clues are, that we can start engineering that and shortening that buying cycle period and look at where they engaged. And we'll go into the stages of intimacy. How can we accelerate that stages of intimacy where they want to get married? Boom. So you want another, wow. another story or two? <laughs> well, I, I want to stay here for a second because I want, to, I want to dive into this a little bit. I'm so glad you brought up attribution, specifically customer for our customers. That was my next question here. Because, see, I've seen people, and definitely when you're hitting eight and nine figure and scaling, you want to make sure these metrics and systems are in place to make sure, because obviously you could say, hey, you know what? we got Facebook ads, we're spending X amount of dollars. we got YouTube ads, X amount of dollars. We've got SEO, X amount of dollars. Okay, cool. Well, where are, there, where, where are you getting the best cost to acquire a customer? Because then you want to double down and obviously funnel all that into uh, you know, optimizing that platform, whatever that channel is. So you're telling me, correct me if I'm wrong, 
you're basically making sure, hey, in your KPIs, you want to get micro with it. So you want to say, okay, hey, this is, and you're obviously leveraging a lot of that technology, maybe even Hyros, other things. I've done that as well. Yeah, Hyros is the that, other one that I that clients are using. I don't know how to use it, so I don't recommend something I don't know how to use. But uh, you know, I I've heard other people are using that. Okay, gotcha. However, that is what you're saying to these people that are you know that are listening right now, two, three, four, five million dollar run rates. And they're like, hey, you know what? If you're not getting micro with your cost to acquire customer and as well as for each channel and saying, hey, are you also profitable? I'm, I want to turn a little bit on the back end as well because I was talking to someone. I found this very interesting. They did this. I never did this in my business when I was running, which I should have. They actually looked at the customers that they currently have. And the project manager did a kind of like a time test almost. and said, for how much time, energy, and effort that our team is putting into it, and for how much that person is paying us on a monthly basis, a retainer, is it worth it? And then what they did was they dialed down into, okay, what's our really 80-20 rule, right, kind of concept? Who's, who's producing the most money, paying the most, with the least amount of effort and energy from our team? And all of a sudden, they were able to dial down. So then what they did, I'd love to ask you a response on this, David, is they took that messaging, found out who their best, 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 best clients were, and then adjusted the marketing message. Now, they kept everything else the same. But they did about like, uh, I think a 15, 20% like testing and beta testing to attract more of that kind of best, best individuals. And they slowly weeded out the other stuff in regards to making sure that those okay clients or the ones that were taking too much time, energy and effort and that weren't really paying the best. I thought that was really remarkable how they really got micro on the back end with the project management. Have you ever heard anything? I would imagine you probably have seen that quite a bit. Well, yes, because we... We, we do project-based accounting in the sense that I know what everyone on my team is working on and I could, I've done those profitability analysis on clients. So that way I know that, hey, this client may be paying us 25K a month is an investment. This one's paying 35, but I'm actually making more on the 25, right? But there's something else here that I want you to think about. Is it the, that type of client that's great or is it that we don't know our clients and we're not good at communicating and placing boundaries and expectations with that client so that's one of the things that i've been working on with my team is and i'm testing we, we use predictive index and so i've been certified in predictive index um for 17 over 17 years okay so when i was in before I became an entrepreneur, a client, uh, my company uh, test, you know, went through and got us all in sales uh, trained in this, and it was great. And I use it still to this day. One of the things that we want to do is look at client needs and expectations, and based upon who they are, they need to be communicated with differently, and how you set up expectations can change what the deliverables are. And the other thing is we have to communicate with our team. Yeah, we want to do a good job. And there's certain people who will push, push, push and expect more, more, more. And it's incumbent upon us to have a reset with them and saying, here's what we've done. Here's what we've delivered. Here's what your results are. Are we meeting expectations and results? And many times that person, I will say, yes, but I want more. And I've had them say, well, if I don't ask, if I don't push you, I don't think I'm going to get it. I said, that may have worked for you in the past. But if you want the most of my team, tell them how, how happy you are and how grateful you are for the work that they're doing. And they'll go above and beyond without you pushing. And you'll get more from them because you're, you have gratitude and appreciation. And they looked at me, what? And so you have to know who you're communicating with and how to communicate with them as well. So there's two sides to that coin. There is, yeah, have we changed sometimes? That's why I stopped doing project funnels. I was, I was not making money on project funnels. We make money when we do CMO, full, you know, basically your virtual marketing team implementations for clients. And so we stopped doing one-off projects because they weren't profitable. Wow, this is this is just this is I'm having a blast talking about this stuff because it's so interesting how there's so many things that a lot of business owners and I, I remember when I was starting, I was like, man, there's just so much that you don't know. And I remember like to, to be able to have someone like yourself to come alongside me 
It says, oh, wow, but also that talent pool, like I was mentioning. Uh, David, I really appreciate your time today just unpacking this. This has been a lot of fun, just kind of you know, just riffing on this. Um, I, I want to ask you real quick in regards to kind of overarching, okay? Uh, for those that are listening, that are like, okay, there's a lot of information. I see the value in this. How can they reach out to you? How can they be part of what you got going on? I know you got a ton of resources on your website. How can they, uh, you know, be part, part of your ecosystem, but there, there's two things, and I actually, it's funny, I didn't even think about it, but just something just popped in my head. Um, one, if anyone wants to check us out, businessnitrogen.com, businessnitrogen.com. However, one of the things we were just talking about was understanding yourself and understanding your team. And one of the things we talked about was how do you hire and what is, we didn't really go into our hiring framework and how we do it. I actually just launched out, it's a 15 minute recording. Uh, it was a segment of a teaching that I did at a inner circle mastermind where everyone in the room invested $150,000 to be part of this mastermind. And they can actually watch my teaching of exactly what we do and how we go about doing it. And if they're interested in meeting with us afterwards, they'll be able to take uh, the predictive index themselves. We'll go through it with them. And that link is nitrogenhiringframework.com. So nitrogen hiringframework.com. There's no obligation. I won't even, you know, there's, they can get on a newsletter if they want. By the way, I think it's really good. I, I, I think so. I'm biased. I write it. Um, and if, if they really just want to learn how do you hire someone and how do you start building your team? What do you do? I laid out our exact process. Wow, and I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, that is remarkable. And guys, for those that don't understand the value of hiring, having a system and process in place, when you really start scaling and you, okay, you got acquisition, you got tons of clients. Now it's building that team. And you want to make sure you have that streamlined because gosh, David, you and I know when you hire that one bad person, it's like takes you forever. It's like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. Waste of my time, energy, and effort. So you want to make sure you have the right filtering process and you don't want to be an emotional state. So that's huge. Really appreciate those links are in the description. I'll also put his LinkedIn account down there below so you can reach out, connect with him. Uh, he's very active on LinkedIn and then all of his websites as well down there, businessnitrogen.com and the other one there you mentioned. Now, David, I really appreciate you being on here. And I just, first of all, I, I always love and I always want to respect those that went out there and achieved the high successes because in order to achieve the high success of the two, eight figure, you're running five companies currently, it's like, I understand that you had to really experience the low lows and you had to go through all the crap and all the pain and all the whatever, but be able to turn around and now help other people get to the top of the mountain. Uh, just high, high regard for you. And I think that's really awesome. Now I want to ask you, David, is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, it's funny. You, I just started smiling and laughing when you said the lowest lows because my TED talk, uh, spoke about that. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I was 30 days from losing everything. And, and that was a little more than a decade ago. And so you can hit the highest of highs and you can be low. And one of the things I want people to always remember, there's another high around the corner. We, instead of, so, so many, it's so easy to focus in on where we are right now in a low. Instead, look to where you want to go and you'll get there that much faster. Well said. That is such massive, beautiful wisdom. And guys, yeah, that TEDx talk is remarkable. I listened to it and it's just really, really impactful. Guys, that is my friend, the podcast host, the Infinite Business Podcast, the CEO and founder of Business Nitrogen, my friend, David Asarno. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Gibbons podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can.